listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Hi, and welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 35. In this episode, we get to hear from the beautiful Jorty Singh. But before we get into that, just a reminder that you can like, share, favorite, follow, and all that sort of stuff through iTunes and through SoundCloud. We have some exciting changes coming to the podcast this year, the first of which is that it's moving from fortnightly to monthly releases. And so yes, that does mean that you'll hear an episode less often, but it gives you more time to listen, to share, to catch up on old episodes, and it also gives me more time to find interviewees, edit the podcast, do research, and all that important stuff. And now for this episode, I had an amazing chat with Jorty Singh, Registrar of Hillsong College. Jorty speaks about growing up in Fiji as an Indian Fijian, her careers in science and education, her journey of spirituality beginning in the Hindu faith and later coming into Christianity. I love the way Jorty demystifies the idea of spirituality, something we can often struggle with in the West. She speaks about trying to seek out which is the real God, which is the God of hope, and who created her. She also speaks amazingly about freedom and what that looks like for her, as well as navigating disappointment and so much more. And I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Jyoti Singh. I grew up in Fiji, actually. Born and bred there. Came to, came to Australia when I was 20, so I did all of my schooling in Fiji. So there's a lot of Indians in Fiji, basically wherever the British went, there you'll find Indians. So a little bit of, you know, a little bit of history there. So yeah, Fiji was a British colony, so seven generations on one side and six generations on the other. Um, my ancestors came from India, so wow. there's lots of Fiji Indians here, it's about half the population. So. so did you grow up with a mixture of the Indian and the Fijian culture? Yes, absolutely. It was so much fun. Just, um, yeah, growing up we had Fijian friends, Indian friends, and then mum made sure we went to good schools, so we had um, a lot of expatriates, which saw Aussie, New Zealand, Canadian and Americans as well. So, But yeah, the Fijian culture and the Indian culture are quite meshed in, uh, even though you have unique differences between the Indians and the Fijians, but it's fun. It was really, really good. I'm so, I love the fact that I was born in Fiji and came wow. from there. And what are some of your early memories there? It's really relaxed. I had a lot of Fijian friends and Indian friends, and typically, I guess all of most of my memories about Fiji is from school. So, fun, fun in the way how community is done and how relationships are done. Yeah. So just even though Indians like normally, you know, it's quite quite studious, and you're encouraged to study hard, and I think all I knew how to do was study. Really, I did try my hand at long distance running but Indian good Indian girls didn't run so oh really <laughs> not really but I don't know if I should have said that <laughs> but um well I was a bit of a runner for a little bit and then kind of just concentrated on studies and the way the school structure is like there's a lot of camaraderie between between house teams and things like that so yeah I think those are my earliest fun memories and then just family Aunties and uncles at grandpa's house, grandma and grandpa's house, was her nani and nana. Mm-hmm. So their place and mum, mum's one of eight, 
so all of her siblings and their kids and I remember making coconut oil um, my grandma and everyone sat around the garage and scraped coconut and boiled it and I don't know what we did to it but we ended up with coconut oil so oh, wow. that's a fun memory <laughs> amazing would have smelled amazing mm-hmm. well we yeah now it's like oh coconut oil is such a novelty you know and you go to these hippie shops to buy them but Back then, it was just hard work. <laughs> yeah. And was religion or spirituality part of your world? Definitely. Definitely part of my world. We were brought up um, Hindu, uh-huh. so I was brought up a Hindu. My paternal side was Roman Catholic, but my maternal side was Hindu, and my grandma was quite devout. So when I was a little girl, I used to go to temples and temples with her and, yeah, I don't know, ever since I was a little girl, I guess I just had a very healthy respect for for religion and spirituality. And, um, yeah, I used to, you know, you pray and you, you observe certain days as well as holy days. And then various different types of prayers as well that I attended. And then mum made sure, for example, my first birthday was... They had this thing called Havan, which is a, a prayer. So for my first birthday, the priest came and we had that at my grandparents' place. So for special events, it was religious um, rites were observed. So definitely grew up that way, yeah. And for you as a child, was it more like a religious community thing or did you sort of connect with your faith? Did you believe? I definitely believed that there was... A higher power out there I definitely believed that there was that God was a reality um, I just didn't know didn't know God but I knew he existed and I knew that there was a way to worship him to use those words it's kind of a way of respecting him um, or her because in Hinduism there's goddesses as well mm. Um, I think it was just this vague reality. If I sat down and I quietened myself, I would just know that there was something bigger there and that it was God mm-hmm. because I believed that I was made. Um, I was, I didn't, I'm a science student, so I studied Big Bang Theory and all that, I guess. But as a little kid, it was just God, God is real. And you felt a sense you were created. Yeah, I just... Yeah, there was a point where I just, I just knew that I hadn't given myself life, mm. and the beauty of life, like it's so complex, and to seek to explain it using the theory of evolution because it's a theory, um, and explaining the Big Bang, I'm like, how can such complex things come about? I can understand how it's tried to you know, how it's explained, but it just didn't make sense to me. And what made sense to me was that um, there was a higher power out there that, that had put things together. And, yeah, and just, I don't know where it comes from, but just a strong sense I didn't give myself life. Mm. My life came from somewhere. And when you're quieting myself down, there's this, when it's all quiet, it's this sense of, Hmm. I am a part of something bigger. I just always had that. Wow, amazing. So, I know, it's funny, huh? You'd think a little kid wouldn't think like that. But, but yeah, that's why I love kids. I just love watching um, my nephew now. He's, I love him. He's five. 
and um, just sometimes watching him sit and just ponder. This yeah. is this is facial expression in my family. I didn't realize we had it until my nephew started doing it, and my brother goes, "Where does he get that frown from?" I'm like, "From you." <laughs> um, but as he sits and ponders life, I just always I don't take for granted some of the stuff that kids think about. Yeah, because I just remember this awe of wow. So they think about that. Wow. And did you know as a kid what you wanted to do with your life? Well, I wanted to be many different things. I wanted to be a pilot. Um, and then someone told me, because I'm tall, um, someone told me that I wouldn't fit in a cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, hmm. And then they said, you need to have good eyesight. Well, I wear glasses. And I have been since I was near four. I thought, well, that goes out the window then. Oh. Um, now I know that's not true. But one of my favorite games to play when I was a kid, I was thinking about this, I used to love the whole fight for injustice kind of scenarios. And so there's this, um, it's a true story, there's this woman who lived in India and I'd heard about her story where she she had been quite abused as, as and, and all that and then she decided to retaliate and became uh, the bandit queen <laughs> and she... Um, some of my uncles used to call me the bandit queen in Hindi because I was a bit of a feisty person and I wouldn't take any crap. And there were boys um, in the neighborhood. I was the only girl, so I used to play with all the boys. All right. Yeah, all the time. And so quite a tomboy. I love climbing trees, etc. But I loved fighting for injustice. So fight, you know, Robin Hood kind of stories. Yeah. So I always wanted to do something like that so funny and then I used to make I wanted to make medicine to make people feel better oh yeah that's so sweet. yeah so I think what I wanted to do was kind of highlight it through play but yeah my favorite game though was to really fight for the oppressed and was there much I mean you speak about different religions in your world and being an Indian person in Fiji did you grow up with like tensions or injustices around you look I think it's I think it's safe to say that you know in in that culture domestic violence is rife. So my my own home um my dad was an alcoholic. So I grew up and I think this whole quest you asked uh, asked me earlier about this understanding of God, I guess from a very uh, very early age we had to look to God for help um because we couldn't understand Alcoholism was not something that was understood as alcoholism. Um, from my childhood memory, so this may or, you know, my mum might say something else or the grown-ups might give a little bit more perspective, but my understanding was that he, my dad was sick and so he needed healing. Okay. And so that started this whole journey of going, well, who can heal him? Like, which God has the power to heal him? Mm-hmm. And so I would go with my mum from... So grandma, you know, grew up, we are going to temples and things like that, but then mum kind of, with mum going to different places and different things, including, um, you know, Fijian culture has, has um, yes, it's a Christian nation, but there's also the traditional religious beliefs um, as mm-hmm. well with land spirits and things like that. So we kind of went there as well um, and did some worship practices and yeah. with a priest and stuff like that. So... There weren't tensions really, um, like religious festivals wise, like Christmas, um, would celebrate with the Christians with 
Muslims would celebrate Eid, like we had beautiful Muslim friends. Like my mum had um, beautiful friends that she had gone to university with and they were school teachers as well and mm-hmm. we'd go to their place and celebrate Eid, you know, and yeah. they make a special dish during Eid and then the Indians, Hindus would make special dishes during during Diwali, the festival, and you just celebrate with each other. So, yeah. Yeah, so not, not religious tension, no. Okay. No, the tensions, sorry, I guess when you said the word tensions, that's the first thing that came to mind was domestic violence. Mm. I think that was the biggest tension that I saw, so to speak, as a child. Yeah. Um, because I saw that aspect of life, not yeah. just in my own home, but it's it's prevalent right and so did you think that was normal absolutely um i thought domestic violence was absolutely normal that any man pushed hard enough will hit a woman that was definitely i didn't believe that there were men out there who wouldn't but i have to clarify there's some good men in my world like my uncle's beautiful and you know they're good men in my world but i really did have that belief that any man pushed hard enough will hit a woman and so it was only after I grew up and looked at it with adult eyes and looked at some of the members in my own family who are good men that I went, oh, that's not the case. But yeah, I just somehow just believe that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so you came to Australia when you were 20? Yes. What brought you here? My mum remarried um, and so we immigrated together. So, so when so. did your parents split up? They split when I was 13. Okay. So, yeah, thir- 13. Yeah. So, 13 and then mum remarried when I was 18. So, five years later. I have a younger brother as well. So, he was six, maybe six and 12 actually. I was probably about 12 when my parents separated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then did my teacher training in Fiji as well. And so, I've got a teaching qualification in Fiji okay. from Fiji yeah and then came here and then just went straight into uni so mum and my brother live in Brisbane in Queensland so you started off in Queensland the family home was there but I've never lived in Queensland for a long period of time because I went straight to uni so I came January 26th 1997 and then I remember the date I didn't know it was Australia Day until I got here <laughs> so now it's fantastic I get to celebrate Australia Day Oh, that's nice. Um, as the day that I got here as well. So I was down here in Sydney for uni, so I've stayed in, in Sydney since. Wow. Yeah. And how was it coming from Fiji to Australia? Really interesting. I I definitely went through culture shock. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, definitely did. I, even though I had been um, in a multicultural school and yeah. you know, mum made sure I went to good good schools, etc., um, and had multicultural friends. I came here to Australia as an Australian. Culturally, in my head, I was an international student. Mm. And you yeah. spoke Hindi and English? English. Uh, yeah, I definitely spoke English, mm-hmm. English well, because in Fiji, you have to speak in English in schools. We would actually get in trouble if we spoke in um, native tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to pass English and maths in order to pass your schooling. So English was absolutely compulsory and everyone communicates in English because the Fijians speak their dialect. The Indians speak, well, there's a couple of different, you know, depending if you're South Indian, North Indian. 
you speak a language, so you have to communicate with each other in English. Yeah. So that wasn't a problem so much, but I still came to Australia <laughs> and went to uni <laughs> as a local student. So a week, you know, was a nightmare. Yeah. Because you know, all the stuff that they do, like the drinking and the, um, you know, initiation of first years and it was quite an experience that I never want to go through again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And living on campus? Yeah, I was living on campus. So it's a world of its own. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Yeah, and then I gradually got, like, I met a few international students and then I really just made friends with some of the international guys. And that was, that made life a little bit more pleasant because I just wasn't used to the extreme drinking and it was mind-blowing. Mm. mind-blowing I suppose you'd seen drinking in a different context yeah I had and it was always the adults I hadn't I guess it some ways very sheltered in a way because in Fiji you don't see well I wasn't brought up seeing people young younger people drinking because there's a lot of respect in in that like the way respect is shown in my community was different to how respect is shown here so one of the ways in which respect is shown in Indian and Fijian culture is that the younger people don't play up is the word we use whether it's drinking or partying etc in front of the older older people so I never I never was in a group that went out partying or drinking and things like that yeah so yeah my my understanding of drinking and partying was very much, you know, through what was happening at home. So, yeah. And having having said all that, like, had fun. Like, mum mum and them would have parties at home and there were lots of fun. People make life fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was – I think that part was a bit, bit of a shock. And then how do I explain this? Um, I mean, they had a rum-drinking nudist club. <laughs> and you had people who would get drunk. So when I say it was, I've never seen things like that before. That's what I mean. Like you would have Pretty wild. Yeah, wild. It's not just about drinking. It was just wild. Mm-hmm. Another level. So yeah. oh my word. <laughs> yeah. And what did you come to study? I did a bachelor of science honors. Then, yeah, BSc honors. I didn't plan to do the honors year, but. That was a very significant year in my life, two two thousand. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's the year that I really talking about. You know, we're talking about spirituality earlier. I guess I had always had this understanding that God existed, but then before we left Fiji, we my mum and I both went through different experiences, separate experiences, which started really highlighting the, the question well which god is real like which god is a god of hope because that that's kind of where this whole i think coming to australia has been the best thing that's happened to me because i've ended up where i am now and i've got an understanding of my relationship with jesus but the quest started with the question where does hope come from where can we get hope? Because with my dad being an alcoholic and with home environment being what it was, what is there to hope for? 
was the question. And so while I was doing teacher training in college, I had some experiences which made me start kind of start looking at maybe there was something about this Jesus character that run, rung true. Um, and slowly, slowly, I began to realize that a lot of what I had been reading, because we were quite devout. I was actually a, a leader in the Hindu youth community and mm-hmm. I preached a little bit as well. I could talk, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd preached a little bit and I began to see that a lot of the themes that are quite common in most religions was already in the Bible anyway and people say Christianity is a new religion but it's not. It, it's, it, it's before Christ. It predates that. I wonder if you'd also yeah. expand on those experiences that made you consider Jesus? There were a few different things. I think hopelessness is one of them. So all this is leading to year 2000 being a significant year for me because that was a pivotal, pivotal moment. Um, I guess one of those moments uh, was when I turned 18, uh, 17 or 18, something like that, and I was coming to the end of high school. Now in Fiji, you don't have um, higher education scheme. You know, you if you have a lot of money, you can afford to go to university. So I was a smart kid, like I said, I felt like the only thing I knew how to do was study, um, which I loved. But there was, and mum was a single mum at that point, so for me to go to university would require me to get a scholarship um, or to get any kind of higher education was to get a scholarship. So it was during that time that I remember sitting in front of the prayer cupboard. So we, in, in Hinduism you've got, you know, most families will have a prayer cupboard in their house. And so I remember um, sitting there wondering which God to pray to because I didn't know whether to pray to the goddess of education or to the god of wisdom or to the goddess of prosperity or to the, the destroyer or the, the sustainer or the creator of life. I didn't know what I needed. And so for the first time, because I was like, okay, if you need this, you pray to this God and you do this thing. I just remember just looking at at this and with all all respect to my family because no, no disrespect to the religion at all this was my personal journey of working out who God is and where does hope come from mm-hmm. so I just had an internal scream I think an internal scream is is the only way I can describe it because I didn't vocalize it yeah but I remember just having this fight in me going I have no hope like I have to get a scholarship because otherwise I'm 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 probably going to just have to find a job and and probably get married like really young um and it was this internal scream I you who are God who made me you take care of me because if I had to choose my life, I would not choose this. I remember distinctly that those are the words that I thought to myself. And I just had this sense of peace. Like it just dropped. That's the only way that I can describe it. It dropped inside of me. And I still had no idea which God had heard me. But I just felt like the one who had made me had heard me. Wow. And it was about the one who had made me. So... 
I left it at that. And then we had some people who came visiting to to visiting from Australia, I believe, to Fiji. And during that time, Mum had been getting headaches, you know, at certain time every night, and it was just not a very nice time because it was very tense. Because what, I mean, what, what are you going to do with your future is a big question. But in a country like Australia, there are options. Mm. Even if it's, we'll go and work for a bit, save up some money and, you know, get Ostudy or go get HEX. You know, you can you can opt for the HEX option and get yourself a degree and et cetera, et cetera. In Fiji, you don't have that choice. Yeah, we had people who came and prayed for us and they were Christians. And they kept praying um, teacher over me. And I thought, I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> but I'd applied for all sorts of scholarships. So, yeah, and of course, the only scholarship I got was to the teaching college. So, <laughs> but talking about, you know, those moments, it was, I think, what that was one of those big moments for me when I look back mm. about this understanding of that God exists. Yeah. And that he, this, there is something out there. Um, there is someone out there who understands. And then in college... Um, the spiritual realm is real. That is for sure. I mean, I saw it as a little girl when I used to go to temples with my grandma and see different kinds of events and things which would show that the spiritual realm is real. Um, and if you go to any Asian country, or if you go to yeah, any Asia or India, I guess that's greater Asia anyway, but spiritual realm exists. And... I had some experiences with some friends of mine as well where it was obvious that there was something going on in that realm and it's scary. It's scary when you don't know what's going on. But the Christians that were there that prayed, prayed with an authority that I did not understand and I'd never heard of before. So I remember asking someone, I'm like, why are they praying that way? And they explained to me that there were, there were Christians who, you know, believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when um, there is an authority that comes when you pray in the name of Jesus and you pray understanding the authority that you have in him with the Holy Spirit, there's an authority that is inexplainable. And so that's really shifted my whole all gods are one and everything needs to one because I really didn't like Christians I thought they were arrogant <laughs> um they I mean who, who are you to tell me that I'm gonna go to hell just because my religion is not the right religion I yeah. just didn't like that I'm like that is disrespectful mm-hmm. and really arrogant sure. <laughs> so I actually didn't like Christians I used to yeah. call them the hallelujah people because <laughs> on Sundays it just made so much noise on a Sunday with all their banging and clanging and music oh really <laughs> that's what I thought like you know church would go on for ages yeah so um I just thought yeah that was my understanding of Christianity yeah my understanding of Christianity also was do whatever you want Monday to Saturday as long as you go to church and you confess your sins on Sunday yeah you're fine but then you can go and do whatever you want. Had you seen that? Yeah, that yeah. that is what Christianity looked like to pretty much most of my family. Mm. That was my understanding of Christianity, unless you were a nun or a father. And there was a lot of respect for the Catholic fathers and, and nuns because, I know, 
my my grandfather was very good friends with the the brothers that worked at the Catholic um, school that my mum went to. My dad went to the same school as well, actually. Yeah, my uncles used to be, were the mechanics for my grandfather was a mechanic for for them. So if anything happened to their cars, they would bring them to my grandfather. So a lot of respect for them, and we thought, well, they they're the good Christians, they're the nice Christians, but everyday people, um, no, that's not 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 really they don't really live out according to the moral code that they preach on a Sunday yeah lovely people fun people and I guess spirituality was seen actually as I guess at that time was seen as maintaining a moral code of conduct (laughs) if I can explain it that way because whether you were Hindu or you were Christian the, you know, the Ten Commandments hold true. And in most religions, you'll find an element of truth and you'll find some version of the Ten Commandments. Mm. So don't cheat, don't sleep around, don't, you know, don't kill, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. the significant, the two significant moments would be that. One at the end of high school, not knowing which God to pray to. And then the second thing was that encounter with my friend of it was very obviously um, an eye-opening event into the spiritual realm which we don't talk about in the western world because it sounds so scary and Mm. spooky but there are a lot of things that we can't I think there are a lot of things we can't explain about our own humanity that's actually spiritual we all have spiritual aspects to our own humanity really and so that led you towards where you ended up in 2000 yeah so because I had um, experienced all of that I mean we had some crazy things happen like once mum was driving during this time and she was she was driving along and feed in Fiji the roads are really small even the main highway is very small she's driving along and there's this huge truck coming from the opposite direction mum had decided to overtake the the car that was in front of us and so she's in the direct path of this oncoming huge truck, which um, timber, like pine chips uh, factory was not far from my home. There is no way at all that we would have, we could have got out of that situation. But for some reason, and I don't even know how in the blink of an eye, our car was in front of the car we were trying to overtake and on the, on the correct side of the road and the truck had just beeped its horn and gone past us. There was absolutely no way that could have happened. Wow. So I have no idea. It just feels like someone just lifted our car and just quickly plonked it in front of the car that we're trying to overtake. I will never forget that moment. Mm. Um, It was quite surreal. And so I came with all fresh with all those experiences and at, at college going, well, okay, I think this Jesus business is, is the real deal. I think... And it wasn't easy. It was difficult. I know that it wasn't easy for my mum to become a Christian and to throw away her heritage because when you do that, Hinduism, it's not just you don't convert out of Hinduism because it is something that it's part of who you are. It is your identity. It is your family respect. It is your culture. So it was incredibly hard for mum in accepting that, Jesus was 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 
God and he was the only way. I came already having made up my mind that that was the way to go and then I um, was at university and didn't really pursue Christianity but I still believed with all of my experiences that that God was real and it was Jesus. So the year 2000 was supposed to be, well 1999 was my last year of university. 2000 is when I decided to do uh, honours mm. and it was in that year that um, there was a lot of heartbrokenness. I was just lost. I was just in that point of hopeless, just hopeless again and really lost. Didn't like who I had become. Um, I really didn't like who I had become. And I had great friends and fun and, you know, I, the one thing that I, the treasures in my life are my friends. My family and my friends, they're, they're, the, they're the treasures. Yeah. So I had lots of, lots of fun, but on the inside I just didn't like who I'd become. And I... In your character? Yeah. M- not so much character, it was just... I just felt like I was meant to be living a life of purpose. Mm. I just felt like there was a... Like the big questions, you know. I was, I was 24 at this point. So it was about the big questions, it's like, well, who am I and what am I on the planet for and what do I really want my life to look like? I know that I hadn't, you know, that God exists and can he help me though? Because my understanding of God was that you better keep to the rules, sister, because if you don't keep to the rules and you mess up, better luck next life. That's the Hindu mindset. Um, with karma because in Hinduism you have reincarnation and you you know karma is is a concept that now you know most people understand so mm. reincarnation and karma and I still had that mentality and I'm like well I've stuffed it up I haven't I haven't really lived according to those strict rules so better luck next life so I've really screwed screwed this over I don't know what I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I, who I am. I don't know where I'm going to end up. It's very confusing for me. I think I think that people have described that as um, teenagers go through that or something. I don't know. But for me, it was in my 20s. So I decided to start coming back to church. And I can't explain it. It's just like a a pull and you know in Christian circles you would call it a call a calling and I can honestly say this twice that I have felt this inexplainable undefinable call where I have just known that this is what I must do mm. and so I pretty much left all my friends relationship I was in and came to came to Hillsong Church and just made a decision that I was going to allow myself to be in the presence of God again. Wow. Because I didn't think that I was worth it. That's the big that's the big thing. That I didn't think I'm worth it. Just so used to believing that what I do is who I am 
and if you miss the mark then who are you yeah you know like well if these are the measures of success and I don't tick them then who am I is my life not valuable anymore am I not worth anything anymore so I do think a lot (laughs) (laughs) you know those kinds of things so I just started coming again and one of the first things that I encountered was just just this feeling of being accepted just the way that I am. Warts and all, yes, no, it's not all, it's all not perfect and feeling a little lost, you don't know who you are anymore, Um, but it's okay. It's just okay and it doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done in my case that was important you know what you hadn't achieved or accomplished or done didn't matter you were accepted and I think for me that was just the biggest turning point but also I cannot explain the word grace but that is the word that best describes what I encountered And for me, grace is that it doesn't matter what you've done or who you have become, there is always hope and you can always carry on. Yeah, so 2000 was was that year for me. I I left pretty much. I was friendless at the end of the year because the choices that I made, a lot of my friends thought I was really, really dumb. So... I mean, I still, I still have those friends now, some of them, and we keep in touch, you know, Facebook's great. We keep in touch, you see everyone's pictures and you feel like you're in their world still. <laughs> um, and it's fine. I think we can pick up where we left off, no problem. Um, I still keep in touch with my high school friends as well, some of them, you know. That turned quite dramatically, 2000. And then 2001, I just started coming to church and I bumped into, not bumped into, but circumstances, you know, just... Your path bumps into these people and sometimes they're just the significant people that never leave your life after you've met them. Mm. And I've got, I've got a friend that I've been friends with her now for 17 years and um, 16 years and we just started coming to church together. I met this family and they just took me under their wing and started coming. And one of the first things that happened was just this, your heart can hold so much pain heart can hold a lot of pain and I think as women we just compare ourselves all the time and I'm sure so many people have talked about this already that you compare you just compare yourself to other people you compare how you look you compare how you you know your shape your your skill the way you sound (laughs) you know you just compare yourself continually and I think that was something that I'm still I'm still working my way through that because I'm surrounded by amazing people all the time and I think this feeling of that one day I'm going to be found out that I'm fake (laughs) like there's nothing fake but you just feel like you're pretending your way through life (laughs) and one day you're going to be found out that you're not really 
all that. Or oh, people will find out that you're not really all that and you're not that well put together on the inside. Okay. You know? And that's where Jesus comes in because he already knows that you're not put together and <laughs> loves you anyway. That is, the, that is the biggest difference that I found in 2000 is that unconditional acceptance and is combined with love. And I, I didn't understand that. So, and that's when I found hope. So I call my journey one from hopelessness to hope, really. I look at it fondly now, but it was not a nice year. I, I mean, I broke up with a guy that, that I was going to marry, sit really. So, yeah, so that was intense, very intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast, episode number 35 with Jorty Singh. You can also listen to other episodes in this series, like my conversation with Josie Parata in episode 18. My auntie and uncle were amazing people in that they were the type of people that would hear of a need in the community if people were in need of some groceries or anything like that or families were struggling they were the ones that would go and buy hundreds of dollars worth of groceries put them on their doorstep knock at the door and run away kind of deal Mm -hmm. um they were helping so many people just move forward in our communities and so I, I remember just watching on just thinking wow they're just amazing and their life seemed so in order and and so I remember thinking gosh like I don't think our upbringing was like this. I don't think my relationship with my kid's dad was like this. And I started to see the way that they were with each other and and liked what I saw. Mm. But anyway, long story short, what happened was they had a trailer on the back of their car and there was an accident and the trailer jackknifed. In the back of their car, they had an LPG tank like a big tank. Mm. Well, when the trailer jackknifed, the other car that hit them, hit the car, their car immediately exploded. Oh, no. And the both of them actually were killed in this car accident. One of my cousin had asked God, was on his bed crying, like, did they go through pain? And he said he saw this vision of his mum and dad, like it was like as if he was in the back seat of the car. And he saw his mum and dad like look at each other, hold hands, and then it was like they were taken out of the car and then the car hit. When the fire brigade actually put the fire and everything out, mm. there was their bodies with their hands hand in hand. Wow. I know. Incredible. I know. And I started to learn that in hardships, because I don't often understand why in this situation that they passed away like they did, but in this hard moment, the amount of people that met Christ because of their death was phenomenal. Mm. You know, so a, a terrible situation, which I do know now that God takes the bad stuff and he turns it into good. That was a snippet from episode 18 with Josie Parada. You can listen to the rest of the episode as well as others on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And now back to this conversation with Jordi Singh. And so you gave up your relationship, you gave up your friends. Did you give up your career? Well, yeah, in a way. So I finished um, doing uni and then I worked in the science 
because I did Bachelor of Science Honours. I worked that that honours year, and that's why I say honours now, because for a long time I wanted to forget about that year. Mm. I would only ever say that I've got a BSc. I would never say BSc honours. And for me, it's not about the title. It's actually about what that year means. Oh. And I wanted to forget about that year because it was horrible. Wow. Yeah, it really was horrible. And it's only four, not even four, only three years ago that I contacted my university and I said, could you please send me my honours? I didn't even go to my graduation. I didn't want to see any evidence of that. So, yeah, now I make myself say BSc honours. So there's always a pause. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I make myself say it because I'm like, it's something I did. And even though it was a horrible year, I did get through it. It was I, just a painful experience. Yeah, I did it in two years instead of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just got this thing that I have to finish things, not just start them. So yeah. I get really, I'm really hard on myself when I don't finish them or finish them well, sometimes to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, yeah, uh, left my career in the lab. So getting the job itself took some time. And then I decided if I don't get a job by this date, then I'm moving back to Queensland, um, well, moving to Queensland, I'm back to, I never lived there. And I ended up getting getting a job worked there for three years but during that time I stayed planted in church and planted meaning I um, found myself a brand new community I've mentioned this friend of mine I call her my little firecracker she she has stood by me through 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 a lot of the different things because what ended up happening when you when I came back to being in in an environment that was opening up my my heart again to to God and to Jesus I'm choosing my words really carefully because I don't want it to I don't want it brushed off like it I think I think this whole spirituality and journeying with God and working out who he is and working out who I am it can sound so you know out of this world but mm. when I honestly believe that when every human being quietens their soul <laughs> it's so noisy I mean I'm trying to get off social media it's so noisy it's so fun though I'm watching the Oscars <laughs> right now looking at all the Oscars stuff I think that there's some really big questions to be answered that we don't know answers to and therefore we get afraid and we find something else to distract ourselves and to not have to answer those big questions so I left my friends i found a new community, I decided to position myself again in a place where I knew that there was a reality that did not exist outside of that and with a soul that was full of pain, basically. Um, and that pain, I think, was not just from my university days, that pain was from um, childhood days and then also as a grown-up there were there were some things that happened just family so just yeah so full of pain basically but above in the end through that I still had fun I still had a crazy bunch of friends they were all a bit cheeky and all a bit loopy and (laughs) going to one of those youth camps the first youth camp that I went to was incredible in terms of finding community and then I slowly slowly started to position myself with influences that were good for me um, and 
just making one good choice at a time. So I wouldn't say I was overtly a bad girl in any way, but it doesn't matter how bad you are. I think we hold ourselves to high standards. Sometimes we hold ourselves to standards that we wouldn't apply to any of our friends. And then I'm, I know I'm really hard on myself when I don't maintain my own standards. <laughs> and so new community of people and working in the lab and by then all my friends were getting married and buying houses and I just I just was like how are they all being so grown up <laughs> I was 24 and I was lost again <laughs> got to a point where I didn't want to look down a microscope anymore and I'm like there's got to be more to life than just earning money and building a house and or trying to build a house and get married. And the get married thing was huge because I'm an Indian girl and I should have been married by 29 and having a child by 30. I'm still not married. Um, and I turned 40 last year. So that just that call, that's the second time that I felt a call. The first was to come back to church. And the second was, there's more to your life than this. So I feel like, this is before Rick Warren wrote A Purpose Driven Life, I really do feel like I just have always wanted to live a life of purpose. Mm. If that makes sense. Like just there's just something more to life than just this. Whatever this is. I think that encapsulates it a little bit. So yeah. you quit the job at the lab? Yeah, it was it was quite interesting how that happened. Just again there's I thought, oh, I'll give this one year. I'll, I'll come to college for a year. To Bible college? To Bible college. I know, at 29, quit my full-time job, come to Bible college, didn't have the money. So, oh, and I'm like, the one thing I want is for my mum to bless it. I just want to be released by mum to do this because I'm like, I've done so many things that she would love for me to be in Brisbane. You know, who wouldn't? Which mum wouldn't? But I chose to not. I'm staying in Sydney because I love this church and I found community here and I love this place. And I'm I'm gonna stay in Sydney. I'm gonna stay in Sydney. And so when I told mum, mum's like, I think that'd be a good thing for you. And I was like, Wow, this is amazing. Mm. Really? Because yeah, I think it would be. <laughs> and that was 2005, well, end of 2004. Quit my job, came to college in 2005, but that's Bible college, and no other plans apart from that just to come to and it was just being obedient really being obedient to what I felt like I needed to do and being obedient to again that that sense of calling Mm. didn't know how seriously I don't know how I got through (laughs) in terms of yeah work and finances and but what happened in that year was it wasn't it's like my soul got dug into and I cracked open and with the with the wisdom of the people around me with the Bible as well because when you read the Bible I still love reading the Bible and I always find when even as a kid there'd be Bibles lying around and I always find the book of Ruth because it was a love story and it was four chapters long <laughs> even as a little Hindu kid I just knew all about Ruth and Boaz and I don't know how I found that book in the Bible, because it's a little book, mm. a little chapter in a very big book. If you know, if it was just that, and 
I just started reading the Bible again properly and just believing what it said. You know, things like, um, I have planned Jeremiah 29:11. I have plans to prosper you and to give you a future and to give you a hope. And I'm like, what future and what hope? <laughs> and um, I have called you to be at the top and not at the bottom, above and not beneath, the head and not the tail. Um, I will restore what the locusts have eaten. That talks about the things that were stolen from you will be restored. And just started reading all these things and, and started reading about my identity. Even before you were born, I knew you. I watched you as you were being formed in your mother's womb. And then I have plans, to put, you know, plans for you. Mm. Um, and then Christ came. The, the, the amazing bit of scripture that I hang on to is that Jesus came for life and life in all its abundance. So he came for my freedom. What does that freedom look like? Yeah. Because what freedom looks like for me looks different to my friend. So I think that question started getting answered a little bit in my first year of college and then what what does freedom look like um and I think different people it would be different answers freedom looks like not doing things because other people expect you to do them or freedom looks like not feeling pain anymore <laughs> but during the time of you know from when I came started coming to church to coming to Bible college one of the questions that um, I think you had highlighted was what is one of the most painful experiences you've had, I think. Yeah. It happened in that time period and it actually happened in church. Wow. Even though, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like I've had to deal with. It's really funny, last Christmas, mom, mom and I were chatting about some of this stuff because now you know, I'm a grown-up, I should act like one. <laughs> um, we were chatting and mom just said to me, she said, you know, Jyoti, you carry the past too much. And she was spot on. I think I just care, like I just carry it. And learning to let that go, that the past is actually the past and there's still a future ahead. But one of the things when I read what you were um, kind of hoping to achieve out of this, one of the most painful experiences that stood out to me, which surprised me that that's my memory, was betrayal by friends who were Christians. Of course, it had to do in the arena of relationships and had to do with a guy and, you know, you know the whole, oh, it's a guy-girl thing. And But it had to do with a best friend going out with the guy that I thought I had something going on with, which, you know, whatever. Like, But that was a very painful experience for me because these were Christian people and I thought they should have known better. And they should have maybe, maybe I felt really disrespected more than anything at the way things had gone out. Of course, we're all young and I have nothing against those people anymore. Like I did, I was very hurt. But I think that showed me that Christians are human beings. Mm. <laughs> it sounds funny, but I'm like, I could not believe that Christians could make mistakes. And I think that was... That was probably the time in my life I can honestly say I did not want to maybe pick myself up the floor um, for a period of time because it hurt that bad. Um, but there were other people around me who, who helped. 
journey that and that's why when I say the past is the past it's there's a little bit more weight under that it's just it marked me I think it changed me that experience changed me it made me a little bit more um, gracious I think I hope <laughs> I don't know maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's good but it took a long time to get to that point I, I mean I was devastated because there were Christians I think I expected non-Christians to behave that way <laughs> not Christians so so when I came to college, the unraveling of my heart, a very big part of the healing was, yes, to do with stuff, you know, when I was a child, my dad, um, just some of the things he had said when I was a kid, you know, in his drunken state. I just think I had a heart that was like a sponge and just soaked up all of these words that sometimes it's a throwaway comment, but I would take it literally. And I just soaked all this stuff up, and so, yeah, that was that was my college year. And then after that, um, I applied for thirty-four science jobs. Didn't wow. get a single one. Every time I applied for a science job, I felt sick in the stomach, and I would never get it. And they kept telling me I was overqualified. I was <laughs> the other jobs like part-time receptionist job or this that, and the other overqualified, overqualified. And I thought. I'm either underqualified or I'm overqualified. What is this? Yeah. And then I really felt, no, you're not going back to science. So, all right, well, you know. And then a door opened. Just someone mentioned something to someone who then said, oh, wow, yes, I'd love for her to come and work if she doesn't have a job still. You know, happy to give her some casual work. So I started working at church as a receptionist because it was the year that they had started a new thing with ticketing and um, I just did a part-time job there and then started working for Hillsong College um, that year. be 11 years this year in September. Wow. I remember saying the very last place I ever want to work is church. <laughs> and if I had to work for church, the very last place on earth that I want to work is the college. <laughs> now I say the best place to work at, at the church is the college. It's fantastic. I love where I work. I can't believe if you told me, 20 years ago when I came to Australia that I would, well, 20 years ago, number one, I'd be a Christian. Number two, I'd be working for a Bible college. Number three, I'd be the registrar of a Bible college. I'd be like, you're smoking drugs. Like, <laughs> what are you going on about, you know? Mm. So that's kind of how I've journeyed. When you were talking about O-Week at college and being a new student, being an international student too, which you have many of here at Hillsong College, mm. did that all sort of feed into what you do now and how you're able to support students now? Interesting, yeah. I um, When I was at university, I was actually an international student mentor. I became an international student mentor, maybe because I could see you know, the experience I had that they needed that. I also worked for our student services unit as a part-time job um, within the university, assisting students um, who... Uh, were you know um, physically impaired or something like that just assisting them with their studies mm-hmm. I was also a tutor at, at university as well and then later on in my late later years at uni I um, called a senior resident tutor so uh, in the accommodation areas you'd have one person who's kind of looked in charge of the accommodation 
Um, the funny thing was I started working in the accommodation department at college and then now I look after course progress, which is mentoring, oh well, which is looking at students who are maybe not progressing in the courses they should and looking at, you know, trying to get them student support, etc. So it is funny how that that worked out. And do you enjoy, oh, we love your role now? Yeah, I love it. Like just today I had a student appointment just before I met with you and, and just to see that same story being repeated but in a different way where when you allow yourself the time and the space to actually explore some of these bigger questions, mm. that transformation happens. And I love Hillsong. I absolutely love our church and love Hillsong College. Some of the leadership at first to say we're not a perfect church or perfect college. But what I love is the heart behind it. We're definitely committed to seeing people flourish and to seeing people just catch that little glimpse of why they are uniquely made that the way that they are and that it's okay to not have the answers to everything it's it's actually okay um, as long as you're still loved and accepted and I think I mean I could do better at loving and accepting people seriously could <laughs> I think we all could yeah you get caught up in your own little bubble hey get caught up in your own little bubble and live your life and some of those I was telling the student that I met with today she said so I don't even know if I believe this stuff do you actually really believe that Jesus is God like how come we're better than other religions so she has no idea of my story so it was really cool to just go you know it's okay to have those questions even as a Christian yeah <laughs> and it's, it's okay, and there are elements of truth in every religion, and but no one can actually account for your experience of something, you know? And we just had a really good chat, and she also asked me, what about disappointment? Well, have you ever been disappointed? And I'm like, yeah, lots of times. She goes, have you ever wanted to quit like, and forget this? I'm like, yeah, lots of times. <laughs> I think she was really shocked that I was so honest, because I'm like, yeah, lots of times. It's not that it's it's not that it's bed of roses. Like you just have to make a choice at each point, and you have to be honest to yourself about where you're at. And it's not about ticking another box. Mm. It's not about ticking another box. I always say to myself, well, if I really believe this whole Jesus Christianity gospel thing, then really was there a man called Jesus and secular books talked about that as well historical books talk that there was and if did he really die on the cross for me because that's that's crazy why would someone do that and what does that mean like what does what does that even mean like and my answer is I am so thankful because had that not happened, I would not have access to understanding the God that made me. <laughs> I, that, that is so special for me. Mm. There is a God that made me and it's about access to that. That's the passion of my life. So I guess people talk about their passions. And I have been misunderstood by my own family a lot. People don't understand why why I'm passionate about what I do. I mean, people don't even know what I do in my own family. They're like, oh, yeah, she works for that college. Do you teach? 
do you, you know, what do you do? Like, do you teach the Bible? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> but I help make make this, make college run, and I, and I feel like I'm using my gifts and talents in this. And you spoke before about your toughest moment. Would you have a proudest or happiest moment? I think graduating... You know what? Who am I kidding? My happiest moments have got nothing to do with me or my achievements at all. My happiest moment was the day that I got to cuddle my nephew for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Like, forget all this. Like, it's just, you know, it's part of a journey of of my own journey of understanding whatever. But people, people are precious. Yeah. And I've just loved, I mean, the people that I get to work with are phenomenal. Like, I cannot believe that I get to rub shoulders with some of some of the best people on the planet. The, they're, they're kind, they're gracious, we bug each other, we, we definitely annoy each other, but we get to laugh and all that. So that's a highlight if you're talking about work and journey so far. People are the highlight, um, for sure. But holding my little two-week-old nephew... <sighs> It just that was that that was the best moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And then would there be a particular Bible passage or story or even Bible figure that's been significant for you? I guess the whole Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I have plans. Plans I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you future and to give you a hope. I think that I keep, it's so basic, I just keep coming back to that, that God does exist and he has a plan. And I'm like, that's good, I'm glad you have one. (laughs) But, I mean, he gave us a brain and we have to use it. He gave us a power of choice and we have to do that too. But, yeah, I like that one. We do. And in terms of what you believe, would you be able to sum up what's at the core of it? Unconditional love is at the core of it. Absolutely unconditional love you know what at the end of the day when somebody sits down and you really think about your existence there is a hole in everybody's heart that seeks to explain the unknown and I think it's actually unconditional love of a God that made us that's what that's what it's about yeah amazing and then just to finish on um, I always ask people what are their hopes and dreams for the future, but I also love the way you put it earlier about what does freedom look like? Like, What does freedom look like in your future? What are you hoping to see? Oh, damn. Use my own words against me. <laughs> uh, um, freedom for me. Gosh, that is such a big question. I think the last two years have been I mean turning 40 has been really really huge for me um it's been it's yeah I talk about um having to negotiate disappointment having to negotiate that maybe God wasn't going to come through for me um you know looking at a lot of the prayers that haven't been answered you know it's all real so you've heard the story of yeah the the right answers that a Christian should say really but the last two years have made me realize that I need to think about that question again. What does freedom look like for me again? And I think that I might just have to answer that question in different stages of my life and reevaluate. I think I'm in a 
I'm in a time now where I am reevaluating and I'm going, well, what, who do I want to be now? And I think I'm going to do this now till I think every decade or every so often. I will. Who do I want to be now? Um, what does freedom look like for me in this season? So my answer to that is I'm actually working that out again. What does that look like in the future? I, I don't have an answer for that. I definitely would like, I'd like to not live according to expectations that maybe don't need to be there, like expectations of society or expectations of other people or my own expectations which come from fear, I guess freedom from fear. I don't want to live afraid anymore. <laughs> and we're all, you know, fear looks different. There's different things I've feared in my 20s and my 30s and now facing this new decade. The different fears. So freedom from fear and freedom from comparison. Just comparing myself against everybody else. Still do it. I don't want that battle. <laughs> you know? And it looks different now, definitely changed. It's different now to what it was before, the kind of comparison. But freedom from that and just knowing who I am and what I'm meant to be doing in this season. Having fun. Good. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.